but I was her slave, and I suppose she did not recognize me as her neighbor. It's a month we pay tribute to key people and events in the history of the African diaspora. The excerpt that I read was from the book, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, authored by Harriet Jacobs, who was an African-American female slave. I will give you a quick backdrop on her book in just a few minutes. But first, let's read our focal scripture and then open up our spiritual atmosphere to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our virtual house of worship. This morning, I will be reading from the Amplified Bible. This morning, our focus scripture comes from James 2, verses 1 through 9. That's James chapter 2, 1 through 9. And the word of God reads this way. My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality toward people. Show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. For if a man comes into your meeting place wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one who wears the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in this good seat. And you tell the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on the floor by my footstool. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with wrong motives? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and as believers to be heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you, in contrast, have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress and exploit you and personally drag you into the courts of law? Do they not blaspheme the precious name of Christ by which you are called? If, however, you are really fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, if you have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, prejudice, favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as offenders. May God increase his blessings on all who adhere to his spiritual words. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help me speak only the words you need me to speak and allow only your words to be heard. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. In her book, Herod delivers to us the repulsions of slavery from a female perspective, and while also exposing the sexual exploitations and subjugation of slaves by slave masters. Uh, in her autobiography, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, Harriet Jacobs describes the youth of her alter ego, uh, Linda Brent, as a slave in the American South. Uh, the narrative often meditates on the existence of slavery within a society that purports to fulfill Christian principles. 
Linda observed the hypocritical Christianity practiced by her owners and the white community who use religion as a, a justification for slavery. Now, at the same time, she describes the sincere religious convictions that allow slaves to preserve dignity and strength even in the midst of constant degradation. So Herod affirms her own Christian faith while arguing that religion can be used to excuse evil just as easily as to promote justice. Her story activates when her mistress, defined as a caring and thoughtful person, dies. Herod narrates a promise that her mistress made to her mother that she would obtain her freedom upon the death of her mistress. She writes, after a brief period of suspense, the will of my mistress was read, and we learned she had bequeathed me to her niece, a child of five years old. So vanished our hopes. My mistress had taught me the precepts of God's words, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But I was her slave, and I supposed she would not recognize me as her neighbor. I would give much to blot out from my memory that one great wrong. As I, a child, I love my mistress. And looking back on the happy days I spent with her, I try to think with less bitterness of this act of injustice. While I was with her, she taught me to read and spell. And for this privilege, which so rarely falls to the lot of a slave, I bless her memory. Now, I extracted this section of Harry's story to describe and help bring an understanding to this morning's biblical passage. This morning, we find in James and throughout the Bible, it focuses on who our neighbor is and loving our neighbor. It's the passage Harry possibly could have heard most of her enslaved life. It's also a passage where Harry distinguishes the modification in biblical clarification. You see, her mistress didn't include a slave in a biblical concept of what it meant to be a good neighbor. Herod understood this concept of neighbor, perhaps from passages read to her from Leviticus, uh, the Gospels, and maybe even from our appointed scripture today, from James. Uh, uh, these are probably passages that were taught to her by our very own mistress. These are passages uh, she probably based her hopes and dreams on. Uh, this concept of loving your neighbor as yourself probably empowered Harriet to tolerate the brutality of her slave master who recurrently antagonized her with sexual advances. The foundation of loving your neighbor for Harriet was a promise of a new life, apparitions of liberty, independence, and family. Now, the foundation of loving your neighbor for Herod was a promise of a new life. Now, traumatized by the reading of her mistress's will, where a slave wasn't incorporated as a neighbor. But still, Herod lived on the aptitudes of, of the scriptures that if the poor, the downtrodden, and the least of these were to be considered neighbor, surely a young slave girl could be as well. 
Now, in our reading from James this morning, James delivers his version of loving your neighbor, but first he accentuates and brands the dissimilarity between fashion and unfashioned division. James highlights for us the actions, activity, and limitations of who we deem as acceptable and who we consider as a neighbor based upon worldly things such as power and social status. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that even today, this is where we also struggle with loving our neighbors as God loves us. Beloved, it's so easy for us to love those who look as we do, dress as we do, and move in the same social circles as we do. It's a laid-back situation when it comes to loving and being devoted to those we self-define as worthy, but it's more difficult to love those who may be different than we are or those we prejudge and label. Beloved, it's challenging to broaden the circles of life to include those we alienate and discriminate against, those who we would rather not, you know, break bread with. You know, those who God has called us to include as sisters and brothers. James has a lot to contribute when it comes to thinking about separatism and inclusion. James jumps right in to remind us about nepotism and the disregard of others. Beloved, these words are very appropriate for us. We as African Americans still experience discrimination today. James' allusion to acts of favoritism should prompt us to ponder those places in our lives when we too have made impulsive verdicts about others and plausibly incorporated familiarity on face value only. But what's more significant from James' insight is he directs us to understand that discrimination of any kind is simply not consistent with the Christian faith. He reminds us that when we discriminate, beloved, we sin. You see, the essentials of defining the parameters of knowing your neighbor and knowing who your neighbor isn't is occasionally a problematic tradition to break. As Christians, it should be as easy as ABC or saying one, two, three. But... Before we embrace the gift of caring for our neighbors, we have a preamble to neighboring. One, we first must outline who our neighbor is. And two, we must not make this a personal essential just to begin to serve others and then pretend it's an unconscious act. In other words, I'm talking about an act where we define neighbor in our personal vernacular that develops a short list, and I'm speaking of a short list that defines who it is that we don't have to serve. That's being slick, cunning. Beloved, this kind of list serves as a placeholder for distinguishing the haves from the have-nots. It's very, very, very risky establishing this method. You see, the danger in this process is that we don't just eliminate the unwanted neighbor, but we also reject the presence of God. You see, within all of creation, God's desire is for us to work together using our unique gifts and talents. We all have been blessed with at least one or two offerings for the kingdom of God, but 
It's when that list or line is only drawn for those we define as the neighbor, we work against the gospel message of offering love, justice, and mercy. We limit the means of forming a free and just society for ourselves, our children, and our grandchildren. Beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ, the contempt of any human life where discrimination and unjust conduct transpires speaks volumes about our theological obligations than any ecclesial confession. Mm -hmm. Self-define who your neighbor is also rips off the cover of the kind of God we believe in, and it also exposes the insufficiencies in how we love the God we serve. Beloved, the key to allowing love and harmony to coexist in our world today reside in each of us. You know, it seems so often today we look at others and, 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 and wonder what they may want from us or what their plan is all about. And then we move into a defensive or a safety mode. Mm, that's right. Mm -hmm. We live in a, in, in a world that's so easily impaired from, from reality and authorizes rules and regulations with directives that manage the very core of the conduct of human life. And as we keep our blinders firmly secure, our cynicism of the outsider strains our attitudes, then spills out into the world to enhance its distrust while continuing to make the world a less attractive place. But you know, the good news is that I'm still dreaming, I'm still hoping, and having faith in a different type of world. And you know I hope you are too. Beloved, I'm over 60, and I still believe that there's a world for us which comes from solid effort and constigation, from being instructed by our descendants, from treating others as we want to be treated. I still have a vision of a world where love for, for others occurs and it conquers resentment, influence, and hatred. I still have a vision of a world where love can make room for the other and a world where we have visible signs and wonders of the living Christ among us. But you know, this type of world is going to cost us something. You see, there's going to be a mandate that some tables be turned over in the temple and persistence to never relax until all of humanity is appreciated and cared for. Peace by peace. Phase by phase. I believe this type of world is possible for all who believe. My prayer is as we share in the celebration of black history, we lead the presence of this fellowship, transform and enthusiastic to love and serve others. May God grant us each the sincere faith of those who have gone before us, that we may remain steadfast as we work together to transform into deep-seated, friendly Christians. Beloved, without remembrance, our culture and heritage will fade. Amen. Amen. <laughs>